Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. I'm Corey Stark. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we are happy to welcome you into that conversation today. We are picking up from where we were at last week, and the topic was the restoration. What did it really restore? And we touched on a couple things last week. We we were talking about... Um, well, we ended up talking about grace and works and the understanding that a couple of scriptures give us of how those are tied together so plainly, so thoroughly, and so without misunderstanding in the Book of Mormon that that was a great restoration of truth and understanding. Um, we talked about the plan of salvation and how we like to uh, break it down into faith, repentance, baptisms, uh, and we focus a lot on the two baptisms and needing priesthood authority, you know, for the laying on of hands. Everything absolutely important and necessary. But the real plan of salvation is that God's gospel has a power to change our hearts and that we have to be changed to be in his kingdom. Otherwise, at the day of that judgment, we stand before him and we are either completely and utterly knowledgeable of our sins and our filthiness, and we will want to run and hide from him, or we are completely aware of our cleanliness, that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and that we can go into his kingdom without fearing um, being consumed by his beautiful holiness. And so that's the plan of salvation, and those other things are secondary to the fact that we have to be changed. And we pointed out how both of these thoughts were restored more thoroughly, more plainly in the Book of Mormon, not contradicting the Bible in any way, but giving us a clearer picture. Um, I think with the grace and works, Corey, we, uh, we were going to talk about how mercy and grace are tied together and how we've come to find out in the Book of Mormon these huge parallelisms between mercy and justice and that that's two ways to describe God, even down to the fact that the Hebrews had a feminine and masculine description of our God, meaning mercy and justice, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, when we concluded last time, we we ended with some scripture from the second book of Nephi, chapter 1. And verse 73 just states something, Mike, just adding on to what you just shared, how great the importance to make these things known to the inhabitants of the earth that they might know that there's no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it's through the mercy, the merit, the grace of the Holy Messiah. And how just that's such a beautiful summary for what our mission statement is, you know, to make this this known to the world. And that if we will look at the scripture that's been re- rejected by some, even in our, within our own ranks, unfortunately, to make this known this is what draws men unto him. This is what makes us realize we have to have a savior and that none of these other things that we we talk about being, you know, our whether it's our distinctives or things restored matter if if we don't understand that first. If we if we don't come to this fundamental of all foundational uh, pieces of knowledge, it's got to be this. So of of his work for us on our behalf. What um what are some things in the Book of Mormon that that 
maybe are restored that give us a clearer picture of uh, mercy and justice. Well, so you mentioned well, you didn't. I'm sorry. At one time, I think we talked about this. Like they were only mentioned together very infrequently in the Bible, and yet the whole Book of Mormon points out these two sides of God. In oh my gosh! Ways. Yeah, that's such a beautiful point. So if you just Scripture search, you know, restored gospels, one of them. There's a lot of good ones out there uh, for getting the earliest version of the scriptures. Um, what what you can do, though, and this is a newer feature at Restored Gospel, if you go to the regular scripture search and click on the top or the, the menu button at the search page, you'll see the word advanced search. Or if you click on the little menu button now on the side, it'll take you to a link that says LDS, King James, Book of Mormon. Click on that one, and what you're going to see is now you have the ability to search the King James Bible then with the Restored Covenant Edition at the same time, which is a really good search because then you know what other people in the world have versus what the Book of Mormon has to say. And it's a beautiful contrast because if you scripture search the two words, mercy and justice, click on the advanced search and, and select King James as your Bible source and click RCE for Restored Covenant Edition for your Book of Mormon, you're going to find those words aren't coupled together anywhere in the in the Bible, but they're all through the Book of Mormon, and they're explained so clearly. If this isn't evidence, even by itself, of the truth of the Book of Mormon, nothing else is because to the Hebrews, um, and, and even just as recently as yesterday, I was... I was watching a YouTube video of of a Hasidic Jew, an Orthodox Jew, who was explaining the Shema. This of uh, the most famous prayer in in all Israel was, you know, the Lord our God is is one God. Well, that's misinterpreted to us. He was explaining to this Gentile how it means. No, God is unified and God is one. He was explaining that's what it meant. One in His purpose. He's he's explaining this exactly what the Book of Mormon demonstrates. We see the mercy of God and we see the justice of God, and they both come from the same God. God always is one in His purpose, but you're gonna you can see the wrath of God and you can see the blessing of God. You can see it all comes from the same God. But this idea of mercy and justice is so beautifully explained in the Book of Mormon, and I wish I had understood this more that this is part of exactly what second nephi chapter 1 verse 73 says how important to make this known to the world this is the idea that all mankind is in the grasp of justice this is what words alma uses this is his language to say no we are in the clutches of justice justice being that we've been cast out of God's presence with no hope of returning. There's no nothing we could do, right? We couldn't pray a million times. We couldn't fast 40 days, you know, and do that multiple times back to back. Nothing within our power could overcome the requirement of justice. That's what that's what sin means. It's so great to be separated from a perfect God and now to be imperfect. There's nothing we can do to come back. His his mercy was to choose to do the only thing possible, and somehow in the eternal laws of the universe, it was written that the only way the sin can be overcome is for the creator of it all to somehow die and sacrifice his life in the hands of his own creation. And somehow through that, it opens the door where where our repentance can make a difference. And so coupling mercy, mercy's offered, but it's based on our response. Justice is already what we deserve and what we have, and that's our 
that's our um, our sentence, if you will, in terms of you know a justice system. We know we've been sentenced to be cast out of God's presence forever. This is why there's a plan of mercy because there is no other way. And so, one of the things that it's it's interesting because while the Book of Mormon doesn't couple it together. The, the, the Christians kind of still struggle, like a lot of people, you might know this, Mike, people will say, oh, I don't like reading the Old Testament. You know, this is all full of killings and laws and sacrifices and all this kind of stuff. I just want to read the New Testament about Jesus. And, and that's okay, but here's, take the 30,000 foot view. What the Old Testament was showing us through all those laws of Moses was this is what life is like for you for eternity in other words, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth meant if you sinned, you're punished for that sin. If you if you kill a person, you're going to be killed. If you poke someone's eye, you get your eye poked. All these things are the result of justice. In other words, you're going to get what you deserve. Our being cast out of God's presence in a fallen world where there's coronaviruses and cancer and all these things are the result of what it means to live in a fallen world. It's not God doing this to us. It's no, this is what happens when you're outside of my presence. And I can tell you, it only gets worse. It only gets worse because eventually you're going to have an immortal body an immortal body with the full knowledge and fully capable now with sin locked in it is horrible. And, And this is what he's been telling us from the beginning what the Christian world has not done is not pointed out. No, the, this idea of the Old Testament and the New Testament contrasting is that the plan is that there's this ability to come back to God, and it is this work of grace. So we see the Old Testament being sort of the demonstration of, of justice. We see the New Testament as the demonstration of mercy. But what hangs in the balance is our choice and our change. And, and this is, again, coupled together so perfectly in the Book of Mormon. Um, the, the writers are just, you know, if, if Nephi and Alma were composers, these would be like, you know, Mozart symphonies. They're so beautifully orchestrated for, for us to understand. And, and unfortunately, we as a people kind of put this on the shelf, but the grace and works the, or the mercy and the justice are explained here like no other place in the world. Pick a scripture or, or Corey, just out of the Book of Mormon that maybe mentions both of those. And while you're doing that, <clears throat> to go back to the to the 30,000-foot uh, view, tell me again the two names of God uh, in the Hebrew and what those meant as far as um, mercy and justice. Yeah, so the names of God in Elohim, Elohim was this masculine attribute of God, the the left hand of God, the justice of God, the judgment of God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Adonai was the the grace of God, and this was the feminine. Not to say that God is this androgynous thing, you know. The right. the, the Hebrews didn't go there; they weren't classifying him as, oh, this is a characteristic, like physically of him, like he's kind of a woman and he's kind of a right. man. No, no, no. That meant that. The, the mercy came from God. That was a masculine uh, noun. The justice came from God. I'm sorry, the, the mercy was the feminine noun. Right. The masculine was the justice. But Adonai and Elohim were both names representing the unity of God. You have grace that comes from God. You have justice that so, comes from God. So if the very first understanding of the deity that the Hebrew culture worshipped had these two traits— and then, as you said, when you scripture search, 
you find very rarely once or you know that they're mentioned together plainly. But when you go to the Book of Mormon, as far as talking about what was restored through the restoration, uh, there's so many things that speak to this early understanding. So, so in one of these things, the if you just search the King James, um, now I, I'm going to qualify this and say this: we we can't come to the conclusion that a verse contains the essence of understanding. Sometimes understanding is through, you have to read many verses or chapters or even whole histories to get a, get or, a picture. Or to be part of a culture. Yeah. Part of a culture, right. So <clears throat> I'm, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't talk about mercy and justice sure. in, in, a, in a tight little package. It, it does talk about it, and I, and I don't want to misresent that. No, I appreciate that. But, but if you search the King James, there's only one verse in the whole Bible where mercy and justice are tied together in the English translation of it. it in even the same verse, in it's Psalms 89, uh, 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. Okay, and, so so the words are there, but the, the idea yeah. and the elements are not really conveyed. Well, we're told that part of the restoration was, was plain and precious truths. And so, like you said, it's not that it's not in the Bible and in a larger picture, but when you talk about a very plain and precious and that's where I find the Book of Mormon, we talk about what was restored. In a lot of ways, it's like the the fourth grade uh, version of, or the condensed version of, look, here's a very simple way. I'm going to put this together where you don't have to, you know, read hundreds of years of history and see all of these parables and everything. It's real simple. It's very plain. And that's part of what's precious is the plainness when it's just mentioned right out, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, there are certain scriptures in the Book of Mormon uh, which, uh, when you read these and then understand these are Hebrew people speaking, you, you realize how great their understanding was of this. You know, Nephi writes in Second Nephi eight. He says, "My soul delighteth in His grace and His justice, His power and His mercy, the great and eternal plan of deliverance from death." You know, he's he's coupling these ideas together. But but I, I'm not saying this is even the explanation. But I'm just re- saying this as an, an example that no, they they got it. They saw saw See, the whole picture. There's another. I just when we think about our think about our Christian culture, Corey. Think about you know all of the books that are available in stores and all of the dialogue and how you know Christians memorize different. You know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, you know, no, nothing that uh, comes against me will prosper, even though that scripture is taken out of yeah. context a lot. But we use these little catchphrases, and yet here's one in the Book of Mormon that it would be that you would just throw out in a conversation that you just read. My soul delighteth in the mercy and the grace and the justice of God. I mean, that's that's a very foundational, um, it's the meat, it's the, it's the essence of the gospel. And here it is in one scripture, very plainly thrown out that again, could be a, a billboard at a football game or holding up this <laughs> verse and on a card because, really? because that's, we keep, we we want to skip over that so quickly because we are raised with this scripture. But think about the world and what it means to them if they would write and just study this scripture. And that you could go to a Christian bookstore and you know ten of the bestsellers are all have some chapter about this in it because it would just be a very basic fundamental belief 
that um, that we study and try to use to help our, our hearts change, like we do all of the scriptures in the Bible, plain exactly. and precious. Exactly, it's plain and it's precious. Mosiah, the book of Mosiah, uh, has in the first three chapters some plain and precious truth that comes from the words of King Benjamin. And he offers in the first chapter, verse 128, some some just beautiful illustration of this. He says, in this is King Benjamin speaking to his people, and he's introducing Christ to them. But he says, he talks about the people, and I'm going to start at verse 126, who've, um, who've done evil. And he says, they shall be judged, every man according to his works, whether they be good or whether they be evil. And if they be evil, they are consigned to an awful view of their own guilt and abomination, which does cause them to shrink from the presence of the Lord. You know, you pointed this out, Mike, how, how we're, we're going to either know we're clean or we're, we're going to want to shrink away because we know we aren't, which does cause them to shrink from the presence of the Lord into a state of misery and endless torment from which they can no more return. Wherefore, they have drunk damnation to their own souls. Now, it's interesting because this drinking damnation to our own souls, there are, just like mercy and justice, there are two cups of life. We either drink from the cup of mercy. That's what we demonstrate when we partake communion. Uh, That's why there was one cup originally in the church because there's only one cup of salvation. We either drink of the cup of salvation or we drink of the cup of damnation. And so King Benjamin's speaking to the people who have not claimed mercy, and he says they're drinking from damnation. But notice what he says there in verse 128. Therefore, they have drunk out of the cup of the wrath of God, which justice could no more deny unto them. In other words, if they're drinking out of God's wrath, they're receiving justice. He says it can't deny unto them any more than it could deny that Adam should fall because of the partaking of the forbidden fruit. In other words, it's saying their transgression is just as much their own, just like Adam's was. It's not going to be any different. It can't deny. It happened to Adam. It's going to happen to you, right? That's the same way. You partake of this without redemption. You've drunk out of the cup of the wrath of God. But notice how he finishes this verse. So he's talking about justice is going to have its place for anyone, just like it had for Adam. And it says, therefore, mercy could not have claim on them no more forever. That double negative is perfect Hebrew. Or mercy could have claim on them no more forever. No that, more forever. No more forever. That is that is perfect Hebrew, actually. And it uh, might sound like uh, a dummy that didn't know how he was writing. Exactly. <laughs> excellent. And and so, so it's talking about the fact that if— if you drink out of the wrath of God, if, if justice is yours, mercy can't claim you. And the whole idea then is how mercy, then in the next chapter, he speaks to them and the people have fallen to the earth and they're, they've just learned about the fact that it's only through this atonement that they have a hope of salvation. And so what happens? He what says, did they cry out? They says, they viewed themselves in their own carnal state, even less than the dust of the earth, and they all cried out with one voice saying, Oh, have mercy and apply the atoning blood of Christ that we might receive forgiveness of our sins and our hearts be purified. Is that not beautiful? That's 
<laughs> that's that's it, man. I'm picturing the goalpost and the signs held up. Apply the atoning blood of Christ. <laughs> Book of Mormon. I, I love how you bring it back to that. Well, it's because because we use these little catchphrases in mainstream Christianity, and we, you know, there's a handful of twenty, thirty scriptures that people use all the time to try to prove Jesus, and, and it's and it's beautiful. But but if we would take the Book of Mormon down to its simplest essence and try to find those little catchphrases or those things that we build our philosophy around, or as you pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, make these things known unto the inhabitants, this is one of those things. Make these things known. Apply the atoning blood of Christ. And you know, Corey, as far as what did the Restoration restore, you know, I've sat through a variety of sacrament services, and we try to— you know, find this deep meaning and everything, and we go through the prayers that are given to us very specifically to draw our mind into what we're doing. And you said, well, what does that mean to you at one point? I said, I don't find anything deeper. It means exactly what it means. This is the simplest. When I think about the sacrament now, this is the simplest thing. It's either I'm going to drink from the wrath of God or the blood of Christ is going to save me, and I'm going to drink from the cup of mercy. And that is the entire sacrament service. It's his blood. It's his body that was broken. It's the cup of mercy. Because of Jesus, I have a hope of eternal salvation. And once that hope has full sway in my heart, and I have confidence in that, and I'm changed, I am so... I fear nothing. I fear death? No. Do I fear a virus? No. Do I fear being alone? No. Do I feel the death do I fear the death of a loved one? No. I fear nothing. I am saved. I am saved and I and I know I'm saved mm-hmm. because of the cup of mercy in Jesus' blood. And we, that's what we have to make known to all inhabitants. And that's what has to be made known to Mike Barrett on my very inner being. Those things are what change us. And then I go forth. I don't worry about what works I do or how many because they're just going to be works that are born out of a changed heart. And that's yes. what a that's what the works are that save you, works that are born out of a changed heart and not works that are done out of a selfish heart because you can do great works for selfish reasons and not be saved. And what does the Book of Mormon say? Hey, if you if you give a gift but, you know, you're grudging in, in how you're doing it, it's like you didn't give it. Right, right. Another same way, like you said, your works, they have to be it's just simply was it born out of a heart that was for the Lord. Well, you touched on something and I am I'm chomping at the bit to move on to it, but before we do, is there any other scriptures you want to share with our <laughs> listeners that we would say is a plain and simple uh picture of restoration, you know, as far as being restored. Yeah. Mercy and grace. Yeah, I know you've you've hit some major ones. There's there's a lot of good ones, and just for sake of time, I, I won't read through it. But, you know, this idea, again, so much of it comes from Alma because his heart was changed. And and he states in the 14th chapter, verse uh, 101, you know, he, he talks about God snatching him from the sinful and polluted state. And he said he didn't consign us to destruction. And, and then he says in verse 101, this is Alma 14, 101, he did not exercise his justice upon us, but in his great mercy hath brought us over that everlasting gulf of death and misery, mm. even to the salvation of our souls. You know, <laughs> Isn't that just beautiful? We talked in the last episode, Corey, about the different audiences that were in the Bible 
And so the New Testament was written to a different type of audience than the, the scriptures in the Book of Mormon. The Book, the Book of Mormon scriptures are going to the more righteous people that were led away, that followed God in his warnings, that were led away out of Jerusalem at different times in Israel. And uh, the New Testament in the Bible is talking to an audience of more hard-hearted people that constantly have to be shown still how Christ is is their salvation. But this other parallel that I was just thinking, you know, Paul in the New Testament had this great experience where he was changed from persecuting and standing by as they killed Christians to one of the greatest apostles that wrote most of the words we have in the New Testament. And we have this parallel over in America by this man named Alma, and it's this great testimony of someone who was persecuting the church and the <laughs> Christians, and uh, and yet his experience is so much like Paul's. You know, Paul was struck down by an angel blind and almost saw this angel and was fallen down and knew that he was going to be destroyed, you know, mm-hmm. so similar. And so another nugget, another, another nugget of restoration is, you know, Christians focus so much on Paul, the transforming power of God, Um, and of Christ when he comes to meet Christ and how he was changed. And Paul references himself so many times, you know, I was the greatest of sinners. I was doing these things, and then Christ came into my life. Well, what great restoration then to have another Paul, another experience of a man who was doing the same thing, and that here on the other side of the world, the power of Christ to change that heart and to, to take a man that was against him to go full in on his side and never turn back. Another beautiful testimony. So it's hard to nail down one scripture that Alma shares. It's because his testimony through his whole life is repeatedly showing people how I was transformed and how I was destined to be destroyed and how Jesus saved me and pulled me out of that. Mm, that's such a beautiful point. Wow. You know, you're, you're right. And, and he captures this in ways that the the language is so plain. It's it's so clear. Plain and precious. It, it, it is, you know, and and it's funny because well, not funny, but the 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 critics of the Book of Mormon will often point to things superficially and say, oh, well, the Bible already had a story of Paul, so Joseph Smith made up this story of Alma's, you know, so he was changed too, you know, kind of acting <laughs> like he had to plagiarize something, right? And so, but but the truth of it is this. If it was plagiarism, how do you get scriptures like this? You know, the, the one we just read, he didn't exercise his justice, but in his mercy brought us over this gulf. Or even this one, this is uh, Alma chapter 16, verse 216 and 17. And if, if you want, if if you want as a, as a listener to study the, the most um, profound definitions of grace and mercy, I think they're in Alma chapter 16 and chapter 19 of the RLDS version. And I, I just want to read a little bit of this because this ties in everything. I mean, it's, it's the law of Moses. It's the the point of the sacrifices. It's the mercy and the justice. And it's all in just like three or four sentences here. And I, I just want to read them. Alma 16, starting at two fourteen. there shall be, or it is expedient. There shall be a stop to the shedding of blood. Now they're talking about animal sacrifices. Remember these words were given in the time of the book of Mormon when it was still old Testament times, they were under the law of Moses, even though they believed in Jesus, Mm -hmm. they were still sacrificing the lambs and keeping all the Passover and everything. But he said, there's, it's going to come a time when there's a stop to the shedding of blood. Then shall the law of Moses be fulfilled. Now this is profound in itself, but I, I don't want to dwell on that. It will be fulfilled every jot and tittle, and none of it shall have passed away. 
this is why when Jesus comes to the Nephites, he says, hey, I've come and the law is fulfilled, but the prophets aren't fulfilled, right? But this law of Moses is done. But he, but he explains, and this is done here in the Book of Mormon, unlike any other place in Scripture. Verse 215, he says, this is the whole meaning of the law. Every wit, every particle of it, pointing to the great and last sacrifice. And that great and last sacrifice will be the Son of God, yea, infinite and eternal, and thus he shall bring salvation to all those who believe on his name. Now the scripture continues, and in verse 216 it says, this being the intent of this last sacrifice, to bring about the bowels of mercy, which overpowereth justice Mm -hmm. and bringeth about the means unto men that they could have faith to repentance. And thus mercy can satisfy the demands of justice and encircles them in the arms of safety. This is drinking from the cup of salvation. While he that exercises no faith under repentance is exposed to the whole law of the demands of justice. Therefore, only unto him that has faith unto repentance is brought about the great and eternal plan of redemption. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Plain, (laughs) precious truth restored. What was restored in the restoration right here, right here. When you say mercy satisfieth the demands of justice, those are things that we hear. And to me, sometimes my eyes have glazed over in the past because I've read it so many times, but, but, Think about that for a minute. So imagine a man standing before a judge who who has, you know, done something. Maybe he's he set his neighbor's house on fire and did arson and the minimum sentence is twenty years and the judge has no no leeway there. I can't sentence you to less than that. And he's standing right there and the judge says, There's only one thing that's gonna satisfy the demands of what you did for your crime, and that is to physically walk into a cell with bars and spend 20 years, you know, whatever, however many days that is, 365 times 20, in this cell, 24 hours a day, that will satisfy Mm. the demand that our justice system has for your crime unless there's one other thing that will satisfy that, and that is... My mercy as a judge, I'm allowed to give you mercy if, if, and then something has to take place that allows you to be, to, to, to allow that demand for that sentence to be pardoned. And that's what God says, that that one other thing that can satisfy the demands that we be destroyed because we're unholy people and we can't abide in his presence, that one other thing that will satisfy that demand for justice is Christ's mercy. And yet the Book of Mormon restores the knowledge very plainly and preciously that that mercy is not free. It's not a prayer we say that comes and says, okay, now in my mind, I've decided that I believe in Christ as the Son of God, this statement, and now this mercy is applied. That The Book of Mormon's clear. That is not what it means. It means everything all in changed, then the mercy, right? Completely humble and broken. So, Alma just concludes this with something that I, I love this for many reasons. In fact, I know a guy who who uh, wrote some music and put it in an album that uh, includes these words, final words. Therefore, so after he explains what you just stated, Mike, so well, there's this 
justice which is facing us, there's only one source of mercy. How does that mercy kick in? And Alma concludes this beautiful explanation of the law, the mercy, the demands, the justice, all this because of this great and last sacrifice is why it's possible. And then he says this, verse 217, um, or 2.18, Therefore, may God grant unto you, my brethren, that you might begin to exercise your faith unto repentance, the change. In other words, that you might start wanting this change, that you begin to call on his holy name, that he would have mercy upon you. Yea, cry unto him for mercy, for he is mighty, mighty to, to save. save. Mighty to save. Mighty to save. Relying on him who is mighty to save. Right, because this is his purpose. He is mighty to save us, and he has done all this. And so our response is that, again, our faith and repentance are this beginning of the journey to the change of heart. Call on him that he would have mercy to change us. For he's mighty to save. He's he wants to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, beautiful things restored. Um, so plainly and preciously, and multiple times wrapped up into very single little sermonettes or sermons or or oratories. Well, that's a good word. Oratories mm. that are <laughs> that are given. You know, little speeches wrapped up simply. Well. The next item in our list of what was restored through the restoration priesthood, I'd like to skip over that because I think we've covered that so many times, yeah. but and we know that. But let's let's skip that one for now and go down to the next one. Corey, this this is an exciting one to me because it's one of those scriptures that from a little boy somehow it always fell on my heart and I was able to memorize the basic things that I've repeated back through the years to people, understanding the fall of man. Adam's transgression. Mm. We can we can probably we'll spend the rest of our time on this because there's a lot here, but very early on in my life, I remembered this scripture, and this is another sign, another billboard that we hold up as Christians. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Now, I just listened to a podcast series on the tree in the garden. And Corey, this was probably five or six episodes over an hour long talking about the tree in the garden Mm. and the tree of life and how trees are referred to in the scriptures. One time, I think Enoch or somebody had their eyes were sort of seeing the spirit world and they said they saw men like trees walking. I don't remember where that's at, but Mm -hmm. my point is there's a lot of truth to be gained in the, in the Holy word in the Bible and the Holy scriptures can you imagine then these men with this same desire for learning, with this same brain and intelligence the Lord's given them, taking a scripture like that in the Book of Mormon that's restored, wrapped up in a very clear, plain way that says, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Think of the philosophy and the theory and the theology that you're wrapped around. Like, okay, so God made man and woman. And he told him not to do something, and yet he knew by disobeying him it would bring about joy to man and that all men might be through that sin. Mm. That is something that you could <laughs> write <laughs> books about and sell in Christian <laughs> bookstores and, and have classes and conferences and weekend retreats on 
Adam felt that men might be, men are that they might have joy. That's a camp theme. Mm. That's a reunion theme. What does it mean to have joy? Where does joy come from? Mm. From choosing righteousness. And if there's no sin, and then we get into the restoration of the Book of Mormon, the whole, um, there has to be an opposition in all things and how that works for the glory of man and gives him uh, righteousness and joy and that this opposition in all things started at the very beginning. And yet that's an added truth that we get plainly and preciously in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about this. Understand Understanding the fall of man is what you wrote here, Adam's transgression. God's ultimate purpose for this creation is to bring us back into his presence. And we've had that restored in Doctrine and Covenants, what, 22, 23? Mm-hmm. Uh, his work and his glory. Bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. But right. the Book of Mormon, what is... What's your thoughts on this, Adam and Eve in the garden? What what do we gain from the Book of Mormon? You know, um, I I'm just loving listening to you, Mike. I think you're on a roll explaining this, and I I just want to keep listening. You know, I I just wanted to add, and this is just kind of anecdotal, but um, when when God creates, yeah, it's not anecdotal, but there's a little piece in here that might be. Um, in Second Nephi chapter one, the same chapter we were talking about this earlier dis- description of you know the mercy and justice and grace and works and all this, God explains this to Nephi, and and it's part of the Hebrew culture to use parallelisms to teach most proverbs that we read in the Book of Proverbs, for instance, which were these wise words, are, are condensed. Parallels where you you have an opposite. You know, my, you might say, you know, the 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 wise man seeks wisdom, but the the fool Which, seeks, yeah. you know, whatever. Those are those are examples <laughs> of this parallels. And Nephi is a master at this. Uh, he he does this and explains it so well through parallelisms. And there's tons of them in the Book of Mormon. And I'm not saying this is by any means exhaustive, but but I just tried to find where even ex- examples of parallelisms are done overtly where it'll say on the left hand of God, you get this, or the right hand of God, you get this. And I found, counted over 50 that I found just different topics like that presented through the Book of Mormon. Um, Whether we see that or not doesn't matter. The ideas are there, but the way it's done, and if I had this um, idea and I was like a a student in school and, and I thought, man, I, I want to study this for a degree or whatever. And you're like, you know, you, you went into healthcare, Mike, you know, I, I went into science, but um, you, you get this idea for a thesis. Well, then, you know, in our culture today, what you do is you, you write a paper and then it gets peer reviewed. And then people who have also written papers determine if your works are worthy to be published. And if they're published, you end up writing this doctoral thesis and you get all these letters behind your name. And that's, that's what you do to show your greatness. In the Hebrew world, if you were great and had all these great ideas, you didn't write a huge thesis. You condensed it down into a proverb, and you wrote a proverb, <laughs> and you were known for that, right? Because you got it down into the fewest words, and it was a parallel, right? Okay. So, yeah. so the, the proverbs are that. They're like doctoral theses. That reminds me of when you said uh – if I had enough time when I wrote you this letter, if I had enough time, I would have made it shorter. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I didn't have time to write a short one. I didn't have time to write a short Yeah, it's very hard to make things simple and sum them up. Exactly. Yeah. And when you realize what Nephi did, and I not just Nephi, but the writers of the Book of Mormon, but him in particular, because we get so many of his first-person accounts, oh, my, he, he was blessed on high with understanding and the way he wrote it in his language to be translated. It's beautiful how the— 
the essence of his culture and understanding through the Hebrew understandings, uh, the Aramaic and, and the Egyptian script and all this combined comes through and distills down these truths to us. Well, so getting back to Second Nephi 1, this discussion of Adam and Eve doesn't start there. It starts actually with, and I'm going to start at verse uh, 95. Um, he, he's this is Lehi sharing these these words. He says, I'm explaining these things for your prophet learning. There is a God, and he created all things. And, and this is going to sound like bad English, but this is perfect Hebrew. Both the heavens and the earth and all things that in them is. Okay, is, yeah. now, does that sound awkward or what in English? <laughs> but there's a reason for it. The heaven and earth, as far as creation in the Hebrew, were viewed as one entity. Heaven wasn't a separate thing from earth. The spiritual and the physical were seen as one. This word nefesh, I just heard this this week. <clears throat> There's this idea that gets translated. It's one word. It's called nefesh in the Hebrew is how you would pronounce it. It's translated into 75 different English words oh, in the Bible. It's sometimes soul. It's sometimes spirit. It's sometimes life. It's sometimes breath. It's, it's whatever... But the true idea of nefesh is that it's you. It's everything. It's your character. It's your soul. It's your hopes. It's your heart. It's your mind. It's your thoughts. It's your will. It's everything combined into that. And none of the English words describe it that way. They, they all take this little piece of it, and we never get the true understanding unless you think the way the Hebrews do. Well, right off the bat, we get this idea from, you know, an Adam and Eve and fall man. He, he starts, no, it's not with Adam and Eve. It's that there's a God. He created everything, and they're one. Heaven and earth, all things, that, that's why it says that in them is, is, is because they viewed it as one, unity, right? And so that in itself is, is beautiful. And, of course, the later, like the 1966 version of the RLDS, which never became the official one, they, they changed all these things because they just thought it was Joseph Smith and his bad grammar. No, it was actually the representation of the Hebrew thought. But nevertheless, he says, both things to act and things to be acted upon. I mean, not to go too Eastern, but it's almost like the yin and the yang, the balance, things that happen and things that are a result, choices and consequences. Everything is wrapped up into one, okay? And so he says, this is one. And then 97 says, to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man. This is why there's a right hand of God and a left hand of God, the justice of God, the mercy of God. This is all one, and it's his eternal purposes is one. And then, it's, then it delves down into this creation of our first parents. So all this is his eternal plan. And then he created our first parents, the beasts of the field, the flower fowls of the air, and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be there was an opposition. So isn't that interesting from the very beginning? He says, no, the, the part of the creation meant there had to be a balance. If there was a good, there was a bad. There, there has to be one, right? And so what states, even before it mentions Adam and Eve by name, it says, even, this is Second Nephi chapter 1, verse 98, even the forbidden fruit in opposition to the tree of life. You know, we think of one tree, but there were two. The one being sweet and the other bitter. What I think of, and this is when I said there's something anecdotal, this is it. It's interesting because the parallelisms as they're presented in Hebrew, never they, they don't mix and, and match. 
I believe what this was meaning was that the forbidden fruit was paralleled with the sweet and the tree of life was paralleled with the bitter. Actually, we might think of it as opposite. Mm. We might think that the forbidden fruit, oh, it was probably nasty and sour tasting and all this. And then they knew it when they tasted it. No, the forbidden fruit oh, was enticing. Sweet. Yeah. And see, Eve said, no, this was good. This see, was that, good. That explains the parallelism in my mind. Cause I went right to like banana twins, little Debbie's and <laughs> arugula. <laughs> <laughs> the bitter salad with the you made me kill. Yeah. Oh, no. But see that would play out because the banana twins are actually very bad for me and the arugula is probably good for me, even though it's But bad. we'll never know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so exactly though. See the the enticing of the forbidden was the sweet one. It desired them. We we have this propensity. I know it's in my heart. I, I want to kind of know about the evil. I kind of want to know about the dark side. It's like there. I mean, that's the natural man. Yeah, for whatever reason, the the darkness does have intrigue, and it does oftentimes offer immediate gratification or um, some type of uh, fulfillment. And yet, in the end, nothing. You know. Well, so this idea that the the tree of life may actually have been the bitter one that intrigues me. And again, this is anecdotal. I, I can't say for sure. I, I could have this all wrong, but to me, there's a parallel there in just the fact that no, if you're going to have life, you're going to, if you're going to have eternal life, you're going to experience the bitter. You're going to, you're going to have challenges. You're going to have trials. You're going to have, you know, mm-hmm. hard times. And, and, and that's represented in a bitter fruit. You only, so, so one thing, Corey, as far as restoration, you know, I said that, podcast, which is the Bible project. I'll put a link to it. They did a whole series on the tree, right? And we're told in Revelation, the tree of life, I think, was in the paradise of God. Um, What comes to your mind when we think about restoration and trees? How many, I mean, at least three times in the Book of Mormon, we've got Lehi's vision of the tree of life. Mm -hmm. We've got Nephi, who then has the similar vision with some added explanation. Yeah, he gets kind of the 3D Max right. tour of that. And then we have almost 16, somewhere around there, talks about the seed that becomes a tree right. and then uh, and how that tree fulfills us. And so, But out of all of that, it's another one of these signposts or these banners that we hold up. It says, and it was white above white, sweet above sweet, and uh, pure above pure. Unto the fulfilling of my soul, you know, or it yeah. fulfilled my soul. Yeah. And so in that case, um, I believe it was, I don't know. Do you think that was the same tree? With you know, you, you make a really good point in, in, in your hundred percent on that is that no, the, the salvation that it represented, remember that tree that Nephi sees mm-hmm. is the love of God, which is this merciful act, which, you know, he, he sees this tree and then he starts seeing these things in the angel scene. Do you understand what this baby means? Do you understand right. what this virgin means? Do you understand what hanging on the cross means? He says, it's all how God condescended. It's all the love of God in your behalf. And that's the fruit you partake of. Right. So that's the thing that's so, so yeah. Right. I so, think the, I was just going to say, I think there's a parallel that's a little different in this. You know, we're all seeking this tree of life, obviously, but I think in this idea of the sweet and the bitter, and I, I could have it backwards. I'm, and I'm it doesn't trying really, to work in my banana twins. <laughs> that, that they're exactly. Okay, so. <laughs> exactly. I'm just thinking that in their, in their life in the garden, it may have just been that the one that was really going to give them life wasn't the one that was the desirable enticing one and the reason is because of of what uh, lehi continues to explain but no go ahead you had more you wanted to say no no that's just um but so from a thirty thousand foot 
view when we talk about what was restored, these are things that um, certainly bear studying out and 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 looking at. And I think these are the things that would be included when it says make these things known to the inhabitants of men. We want to make that fruit, that white above white, that the only thing that will ever fill your soul. And again, I step back and I say, look at what a good job the Christian world's done uh, with so many um, things like this in the Bible, where they take this, you know, where it could be the parable of the sower, right? And you write books on that, and you have conferences, and mm-hmm. you have classes. Well, imagine if we had all of that energy being put in to the tree, and like like this Bible project, they did this whole series just on tree, and the one tree in the garden tied into all of the other images of tree and growth in the scriptures. Imagine if they believed and knew about this, how much more understanding, because these men, I believe, have honest desires and love seeking the Lord. And I should, you know, even as I say that, I I almost, because I'm used to it, putting them down a level from my knowledge. But no, they're on the same and way above because of their desire and their seeking and their sincerity. And so now when we make these things known, you know, the content of the scriptures, not that we are good because we have these scriptures or that we're special because we know about them, but we make the actual content known to people. Oh, the, I just, I wish all of the wonderful things that are out there now in technology with cartoons and videos that are helping us understand the Bible. I just wish that there was more, um, people involved in doing that with the Book of Mormon that have the resources and not the, I shouldn't say the Book of Mormon, the truths contained therein. Yes. I want to see, yes. I want to see the Bible project doing a cartoon so great. They did on the tree in the garden using the, the Lehi's vision, you know, and right. the, the LDS friends, the living scriptures, they have some of those that are out, you know, decades ago now that need to, you know, so you hear what I'm saying. So for restoration from the perspective, what was restored we have much more knowledge about this tree and imagery that that we we don't need to parse out, but that just needs to be a place to go and hang out in your own personal study with yeah. the Lord. Yeah, and I like what you said about that too. I wish we could represent this better because I find that when we when we try to do something, if it's a video or a, or a book or whatever, sometimes still what we've done in the restoration is. We, we sometimes tell the story or the history of it, but we fail to bring out like you just did know that the meaning of it, the purpose of it, why this is so important to understand this, that it is sweet above all that is sweet. It's pure above all that is pure. And, and that's the essence of the reason the story is there. So we understand it's, it's so important, but you know, in this idea of this garden and these two trees, what Lehi adds is he said, um, you know, he says, I, he says, according to the things I've read, and must need suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven. That's verse 101 in Second Nephi chapter 1. And so what's interesting about that is the account that he had didn't apparently give him a lot of information. And he said, I need to suppose it was an angel of God. But according to the things he read, remember, he had the plates and everything. So the people at that point in time didn't understand maybe all of evil went loose for a minute. But, but it says... he. He became a devil. Okay, so we're going on into the second. So on your on your little uh, 
printout here that we'll put a link to. We did the understanding of the fall of man. And yeah, and, and this about, is still the fall of man. This is all okay, leading yeah. up to it in the Book of Mormon. Well, understanding the fall or the nature of Satan is part of the restoration. Correct, right. correct. You're right. And that's right. That's another part of this. This idea here, he's just developing something that I, I just wanted to work up to this point. Um, actually, I skipped over it. It was in verse 100. So verse 99 and 100, as this tree of life is presented the bitter and the sweet. You know, one of them was so enticing that they had to try it. The Lord <laughs> adds this, and we we call it agency, and I think it's correctly applied, but there's more to it. He says, wherefore the Lord gave unto man that he should act for himself. Now we always hear this. This is one of the fundamentals of our understanding of the restoration is that man has agency. We can choose, right? And this is it doesn't use that word agency here, but it represents the idea. God gave us that we should act for ourselves. This is part of what it means to be created in God's image. When when the Hebrew Bible says God breathed life into man and, and, and made us in his image, that word image is most closely translated to the word character. So mm. it's not just that we have hands and toes, <laughs> right? So so that we should act for himself, man should. It's because God can act for himself too. Let's, that's that's how we're creating his character. I don't want to I want to just pause right there. Image of man, we 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 do often say and in some aspect Jesus, well Jesus took on the, the image of us. Right. The, but, the, but, but we were created in his image. There's character. a form, right, but the character is the key. That's interesting. And that's you know, when I think about music and art and all of those things, how we we have this innate drive to create, to to build something out of nothing, seemingly out of our mind and our imagination, and then we bring it to fruition on paper or through sound. And how I just think back to the songs, you know, writing songs, how fulfilling that is at the end when you finally created something. Yes. And you know what else was neat. I, I use this one time. Um, you know, I was listening to one of the songs we recorded this week, and there was probably, I don't know, 20 tracks with all kinds of different instrumentation and drums and bass and three tracks of vocals and all of these things. And, yeah, I, I can remember going back through that creation and still listening to the song. I remember when we, we brought the tom-toms down right there and we reduced the sound, and I remember having to go back and add a note right there that we mixed, and or I hit a wrong key, and we had... I remember every little mm. detail of that creation, and that's... I just think of like that being how intimate God knows us as his creation, mm. being created in his image, mm. because he formed our spirit, and we were with him, and, and he's been there for every second of our life. Mm. So every time we react... He knows like what happened in our life to damage us, to cause us to react that way. Mm-hmm. He came down in flesh and experienced those to the to some extent in being in the flesh, understanding that process, and that's why he's able to give us mercy because he knows what it's like and he experienced, you know, the temptations and everything. I'll probably got off track a little bit, but that's all about I think being created in his image, how that ties us together. Exactly. Being able to create, you know, that's the thing that separates us from all the other life forms on on the earth, animals and things like that. Even though this existence right now is just a shadow of the real existence that God has waiting for us, but that we still 
have been given his character in that we can act for ourselves and we can dream and we can hope and we can create, you know, there's just so much to that. That couldn't have just happened because lightning hit some single cell no. and that evolved. And, and now all of a sudden you can dream and create. No, no, no. I'm all wound up now. Thank yeah, you. Because I, they want to, when, you know, when, when budgets are tight, those are things that go music programs and art in schools. And, and yet people have mentioned like, what is getting us through this time right now with the coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it mathematics and, um, you know, <laughs> diagramming sentences or is it, drives in the country with your son listening to music on the radio yeah. or you know i've seen a sister from our church making beautiful paintings on and sharing them on the that's what we go back to those are the things that are worth living and those come from the very nature of of our here we go of our creator of our creator <laughs> yeah yeah it's that character and and so good. so there's so much to that like you said mike books can be written on that you know we still would only scratch the surface but so that was verse 99. So verse 100 of 2 Nephi chapter 1. This is interesting to me, and, and I can't claim I totally grasp this, but it says, so God creates this opposition. He Remember, he creates all things as one, and there's an opposition he establishes in 97. But then he says in verse 100, you know, after he's given us our agency, man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. Isn't that interesting that... From the beginning, there had to be an enticement of two things on a polar extreme, mm-hmm. a good or a bad, and that he that that was part of the creation. And I I never really understood that. I, I just kind of always thought, well, God is all love, and Satan is all evil, and everything. And it's like you know, Satan's a bad guy, God's a good guy, and it's like, yeah, that's still true, but there's more to it. In that, no, God created this playing field. With, with opposite extremes right, and gave us his character to choose which way to go. And, and, and he's giving us information that can entice us to one way, but there's also information that can entice us in the other way. And this maybe in and of itself is the biggest way that reflects how we were created in his character, in his image. It serves us well to remember that as we go through our trials, as we give in to temptation at different times, that that was part of the plan, that we have a way back. We have a way to ask for forgiveness. But as as that guy talked about, Ron Block says, but if you're not being changed, I don't continually need forgiveness. I want my life to change. That's the that's yeah. the end result. But yeah. So this was all First Nephi or uh, uh, First uh, Second Nephi chapter one. Lehi okay. is explaining this to his children. Uh, this is a kind of part of his deathbed uh, final words to them. So here we have another a father's writings to his children of what's most important to him, explaining you know the fall of man and a greater understanding of Satan and evil versus good and being enticing and in opposition. And we know Adam fell that men might be and men are that we might have joy and that joy has to come through opposition the ability to choose the ability to exercise faith <laughs> the ability to reside in flesh for 70 or 80 years on this world uh, is part of that that plan and all part of the restoration what was restored um, we uh, well, <laughs> well I see what's coming on the horizon it's the understanding of Enoch and Zion. And that's, we'll have to take that up next time. That's going to be a great place. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's still some more to talk about with this. uh, So we'll have to pick it up next time, I guess. Do you want to, do you want to finish with the, uh, how much more do you have? So, all right. So we can go for, we're at an hour. Okay. All right. So maybe it's good if we just wrap this part of it up because, 
So when Lehi explains this, being enticed the one by the other, and and then he thought that all mankind would be miserable. What's interesting is, you know, he talks about uh, verse 104, 105, you know, he was the devil. He he tempted them to partake and it told them, hey, you won't die. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And, and they did partake and they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually, right? You're, and then what's interesting is though the scripture that you um, mention about them not have or having joy that we were created to have joy. That's part of a parallelism where you in parallelism sometimes you use opposites. the 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 verse one fifteen is good on its own, but it's even more um, intriguing when you consider that it was part of a larger parallel. Because in verse one thirteen it said. In that previous state, they had no children. They would have been in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. It says all these things. But then it contrasts that. It says, but all things have been done in the wisdom of God who knows all things. Men are that they might have joy, and that you know, in the fullness of time we'll come back to him, and that we can be restored to good. So he's, he's saying that in this original state, none of these things that we find to be the satisfaction of life would have really been theirs unless they had been able to be enticed and from that enticement chose the good. Isn't it, There's just something fundamental about knowing that we're going to experience the joy because it starts back with the choice and how, how fundamentally important that is that we realize that it all comes back to our choice. Everything that's available to us as far as hope of eternal life is, is wrapped up in this idea that we are created in God's character and this is all a test of our choice. That's uh, and that, that brings me, maybe we end with this. I, I've shared it before. So briefly, Coming back from Nashville with my friend, being very sad, discouraged, in a bad place in my life, him telling me about how great Jesus was and forgiveness, and I was just getting madder and madder because I wasn't feeling it. And as I pondered on that for days, I cried out to the God, to my creator in my heart, said, I never asked to be born. I never asked to be here. I never asked to be here and suffer all of these things. I never asked you to push me into a well just so you could pull me back out of the well. (laughs) And the answer came so lovingly and so clearly, you never asked for eternal life either. Mm. And one day it'll all be worth it and, and all of these pains will be gone, but this is part of the plan. And there you just read it right in the scriptures in the Book of Mormon that Men, you know, need to have misery so that they can have the joy, the good. Mm-hmm. We need to experience misery. Isn't that? And so, but that's as dark and as bad as it gets. You just have to think a loving, just God, if he allows this much pain, there has to be this much and even more joy to make it all worth it in the end. Exactly. And that's where we focus our eyes. And part of what's been restored, so beautiful here. Yeah. And plain and precious writing. You know, that's so true, Mike. This idea sometimes is put forth, and it's it's a premise we shouldn't accept. People will ask the question, well, if God is good, if there is a God and you say he's good, how could he allow all these bad things to happen? And it's like, that's where you don't, you can't even accept the premise of that question, but that somehow befuddles us and the restoration has the answers. Yeah. Let us read the answer because there has to be an opposition. That's, 
That's the answer. And God said it from the beginning, and the Book of Mormon explains it so beautifully. And again, it the fullness of the gospel is more than just, gosh, what makes us distinct, you know, as far as, oh, well, we have this and this. But it's like, <laughs> no, we have these fundamental truths that are right here in these pages that yeah. the world would so benefit from if they knew that. This is what the fullness of the gospel is. Can you imagine a group of people that were educated and trained and knew in their heart that we say, what makes us distinct? Well, we have an answer to one of the greatest questions mankind's always asked. Yeah. Why, why, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to people? <laughs> exactly. And uh, and here it is. And so if we if we spent our time and our efforts on classes and seminars and things that are focused on this rather than, you know, proving how to, uh, how to digest priesthood authority, you know, people, you know, I don't want to go off. We go on long. They're, they're, truth is so elusive and so hard, and you can take stats and you can take words and make them bolster any opinion you have. But when truth is spoken to you in very plain ways like this and something moves within your heart, that's the Holy Spirit bearing record. This is true. Yeah, and that's amen. what happened to me that day. And yet that 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 word or that that thought that came into my mind is backed up by tons of scripture right here in the Book of Mormon. You have to know misery uh, to, to, to have righteousness and goodness and to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the balance. And, and all these things, as verse 114 says, have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Well, this has been good. We have more goodness to come in our next episode what was restored through the restoration yeah we're going to continue it and we're just going to keep walking each other home while we're doing it too i'd also like to thank our sponsor of this podcast little debbie's uh for (laughs) uh producing such wonderful food and no i joke i jest i don't want a lawsuit from my favorite little debbie so just joking uh until next time god bless